Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Editor's Desk. Here with me, Felicity Duncan and Alec Hug. Now, Alec, we had a, a very sad event in South Africa recently, which was the loss of really a national treasure in Johnny Clegg. Um, you know, and when I saw the news first thing in the morning, I just, I was, I was so sad and I, I was listening to some of his music on the train and, you know, eyes brimming over with tears as I was in my morning commute. It was, it was very, very sad. And, um, I mean, we knew that he had been struggling with pancreatic cancer and, and, and all, but just, uh, a really a sad day for South Africa. And now you had, the real privilege of attending the memorial service that was held um, on Friday, so last night, uh, we're talking here on Saturday, and um, you you managed to sit right up front and, and you got to speak to a lot of the people who uh, knew Johnny Clegg personally, and um, I, I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience and what it felt like to memorialize a person who really embodied the goals of a non-racial, truly open, truly democratic and forward-looking South Africa. Yeah, he did, didn't he? I mean, he was just the most extraordinary icon for this country. Uh, a man who was extraordinarily gifted uh, in his music, which, which traveled the world. But more than that, and it came out in this memorial service, he was a, a man who pre- preached tolerance. He he bridged the divide between black and white in South Africa, which had been so deep because of political uh, interventions in, in the time that he grew up. He got into big trouble through having a band, which was a, uh, a black and white band. Um, his uh, partner in the band, Sipo Mchunu, was, was at the memorial service and actually gave a, a long talk in Isisulu. Uh, and then played a piece. Uh, his son, Jesse, who's a very talented musician, also played. Um, I, I was invited by um, a friend and business uh, associate, Barry Fonsale, who uh, was Johnny Clegg's drummer for a couple of decades. I met Johnny as well, as I think most people in, in, in uh, or many people in South Africa had the privilege of doing, uh, found him to be an, an amazing human being. But uh, and one of the real true superstars to come out of South Africa. But the 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 privilege of of sitting up front, um, right in the front row, was <clears throat> in a group of maybe more than two thousand people. There uh, was surpassed even by sitting next to a lady called Gerda Labaskagni, and Gerda is the head of the palliative unit at Netcare, and Netcare provided the service uh, to Johnny. Uh, in his last few weeks, um, he had, as you said, pancreatic cancer. She explained to me that the cancer had spread through to the body, and she was able to explain to the uh, family how it, how the body breaks down and and how uh, what to expect as it went through. So, as a consequence, it was uh, she was, and also to make sure that Johnny was kept in as much comfort as as is humanly possible, because he. She said he would have been in huge amounts of pain because the cancer had, had spread into the bones as well. Um, and that was a, a great blessing to him. And she told us a few stories about the way that they interacted. And, and one of the biggest blessings, perhaps, was the day, the night before he died, and no one knew how long, when he was going to go, um, the family had a long session with him 
uh, his sons and, and I think a few members of the extended family who were around his bedside. And uh, it was almost as though she said that the next day uh, he, he felt as though maybe it was time to go and, and away he went. So it, it was an extraordinary um, event. Uh, you had amongst the well think of think of this as a as a lineup apart from having the Soweto gospel choir as backing vocalist and the band that's why Barry was was there on the drums and and the other members of of Johnny Clegg's band who've been with him and toured around the world with him for a long time instead of, apart from having them you also had uh John Carney uh who is one of the South African superstar actors who was the master of ceremonies and and read a eulogy then Jesse Clegg, who played a song that he'd written with his father uh, and uh, and also gave a, a, a quite, um, well, obviously a very moving address. Charles von Onslen, the author, who has written some very good books uh, about South Africa and, in fact, about the world as well, uh, he gave a eulogy as well. Max Dupria was Incredibly moving. Uh, I think we all know Max Dupriere is an excellent journalist and a very good writer. But to see the uh, emotion that he was able to evoke in this audience, and it it really it was one of those uh, events that I think you'll remember forever. I was supposed to go to a colloquium on the National Development Plan on Friday. And uh, I decided that as important as that was and to understand more about the National Development Plan, this was this was just a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I'm so pleased that I did choose to to rather cancel that other engagement and to go along to this one. It was just something very special to a iconic uh, South African whose example is inspirational to all of us who believe that we can have a great country where people uh, exercise tolerance and and empathy for one another and build together uh, a country that that uh, could be a great place in a global sense. So, yeah, it, it, it was one of those things, Felicity, you know, that I am an upbeat person and I really do love South Africa and, and, and love everything that we stand or many of the things that we stand for. But this was a little bit of confirmation that there are some truly great people who think the same way and he will be missed. He will be greatly missed. He will indeed. And you're right. You know, I think um, among his many talents and obviously his musical gifts and the the warmth and, and humanity that he really brought to all the aspects of his life, I think one of his really primary gifts, if you will, was that he he clearly loved South Africa. He really did. You know, he he moved to South Africa as a young man um, from North Africa, I believe it was, and uh, he, you know, he he came to this country and just completely embraced it, loved it, uh, built an amazing life for himself there, and was just relentlessly positive about it. And you know, in the in the a time when there is a quite a lot of negativity in some quarters in South Africa, it's really lovely to just be reminded about someone who was just happy and, and loved the country. So and could have lived could have lived anywhere in the world. We yeah. not forget this. He. He, he's got an OBE from Britain. He's got the highest civilian offer, uh, an honor rather, from France. He's a megastar in the Northern Hemisphere. So he could have lived in great luxury anywhere he, want, he chose. But uh, as Jesse, his son, said, the number one priority to Johnny was his family and I guess his country. 
and he was here doing what he could to to shape a, a future for the place he loved. So extraordinary human being and a great gift to South Africa. Now to change gears a little from a, a real ornament to South African society to something a little more negative, your week was uh, not exclusively attending this event, but you also were down in Durban giving a talk at SICA, that's the South African Institute of Chartered Accountants. And uh, you you came away from that feeling, I think, um, a little thoughtful and a, and a little bit disturbed by the discussions you had with people about the state of things there in KwaZulu-Natal, which obviously is uh, the region of the country that is most supportive of former President Jacob Zuma. It was an eye-opener. Uh, it's where I come from. It's my home province. Uh, but I hadn't been... Because of our, our adventure in the UK, I hadn't been back to the province uh, for any period of time for for a few years. And what is interesting is that there's a lot of development along uh, the the north coast. Because when you land at King Shaka, King Shaka Airport in Durban, and I was uh, talking at the Durban Country Club, uh, it's you you're just going along the north coast, and it's it's quite impressive. But what is not as impressive is as you drive past the Mklanga, there is a massive development in right in the middle of Mklanga. Now, those people who know KwaZulu-Natal will know that Durban has moved north or the city center has moved north to Mklanga, which last I saw, uh, last time I was there, was a pretty impressive place with lots of new buildings and lots of development, etc. But the cranes have been standing on this massive development in the middle of Mklanga, something like 140,000 uh, square meters of bulk, uh, where the the post office and the uh, and the library used to be, and nothing's happened. So there was a development that began and stopped, and it doesn't take you long to discover that this development was in land that had been given or donated to the village, as it then was many years ago, and somehow the Mkhulanga Town Council decided to sell the land to one Vivian Reddy, who is a very close associate of the former president of South Africa, Jacob Zuma. Uh, Vivian Reddy somehow got the rights to, first of all, to buy the land at very cheaply. Uh, he sold off a small portion of it for the money that he, for the 30 million that he paid for the, the property. And then he started developing this, telling people uh, that the, uh, the flats uh, or the apartments had been pretty much sold out uh, using that money and presumably uh, finance raised elsewhere, including from a property developer, very reputable property developer in Peter Maritzburg called Rob Alexander, to put money into to, to develop this, uh, as I say, about 140,000 square meters of bulk. That's huge. That's like a Santon city in the middle of Mklanga. Well, they ran out of money about a year ago. Uh, which coincides with the end of the Zuma era or the end of the Zuma era of power. Uh, and the, the cranes that are standing, there are three cranes standing there. And on my inquiries, I discovered that the, the crane hire people, for instance, will not remove the cranes from the site until they get paid. And the problem with that for the developers of a site like this is that cranes are charged out at around 60,000 rand a day. So if you can imagine, if you're not building, it's costing you 180,000 rand a day just for the cranes. 
Then talking to other engineers, they tell me that because of the sea air in Uchtlanga, if you build, uh, uh, if you stop building at a certain area, you might actually have to condemn the whole project because the wiring and some of the other parts of the construction, given the, the way that the, they're corroded by the sea air, makes it all useless. So you literally have to start again. This is a disaster of note. The numbers that are being thrown around is around 3 billion rand that the project was supposed to cost. Vivian Reddy is looking for finance and doesn't seem to be able to find it anywhere because he is regarded in the province and by the banks as a politically affected person, given his relationship with uh, Jacob Zuma. Uh, and it is a, it's, it's a reflection of what happens when the, the, the power that, that vested in, in a group of people, if you like, no longer is there anymore. Talking to other members of the accounting profession, they, they tell me that within Itekweni, which is the old Durban municipality, uh, there have been a lot of the continuous resignations of people who are not prepared to go along with a system uh, where uh, the handouts are still uh, extremely high. One guy said to me, uh, he he went in there, a businessman went in there and made a tender bid. Um, and as he was walking out, he was told he's not going to get the tender because he's Indian. Um, but if he if he paid the right people, uh, he would be able to to have a chance and, in fact, to land the tender itself. So even though there's been uh, quite a lot of, uh, of of extrication of the cancer of corruption in other parts of the country, in the heartland of the Zuptoids, it appears as though it's a lot more difficult to extricate. But there's a really good story to, to end this off with, um, and that was Paul O'Sullivan. Uh, which happened this week. Now, uh, towards the end of last year, Paul O'Sullivan, who's uh, an investigative sleuth in South Africa, who's done so much good work for the country, was approached by a whistleblower uh, who told him that Transnet, the uh, the, the rail and port uh, parastatal, had issued a contract of about 4 billion rand to an Italian company called CMC di Ravenna, which was corrupted, it, 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 and that lots of people along the line were being given cuts in this. He then started investigating and very quickly uncovered that the whistleblower was on the money. He then put together his report, took it to the new Transnet board, which is run by Popo Malefi, who is camped against corruption, and they immediately suspended this uh, contract, which was for uh, to do with the Durban Harbour. The uh, CMC de Ravenna came back to Transnet and Paul says, the way he puts it, he says that they almost got uh, the contract renewed again, but uh, by bad-mouthing O'Sullivan's uh, Forensics for Justice and by saying that the the report was flawed, the report he had done into it, and in fact everything was above board. That's like a red rag to a O'Sullivan bull, and he went off and to places like Gdansk, to Uganda, to Kenya, Nairobi, Kampala, uh, and did more investigation into this Italian company, which is a multinational, and started uncovering that this was their modus operandi, that they would work with state institutions and then bribe people along the way, and as a consequence get these inflated contracts, much like we, we know of the infamous Bosasa in South Africa. He then gave those reports first to Transnet, who uh, 
uh, clearly confirmed their decision that they were not going to continue with this flawed contract. But better than that, he gave it to the Kenyan government and to the Ugandan government. And in Kenya, last week, they arrested the finance minister who is implicated in CMC Ravenna, de Ravenna uh, corruption. They have a warrant of arrest out for the uh, South African country head of uh, CMC de Ravenna. And uh, the finance minister of Kenya went to jail and spent the night, over, uh, the night in jail because of his relationship with this corrupt entity. So it shows that there is definitely progress here and things are moving not just in a South African sense, but what's being uncovered here uh, has having an impact continentally. That's unfortunately all we have time for, but if you'd like to read a transcript of this interview, one is available on biznews.com in the premium section. Remember, you can sign up for premium. It's just £5 a month, and that will give you access to our content and access to the digital content of the Wall Street Journal.